This podcast is brought to you by Songfinch. Songfinch is a personalized gifting company that brings stories, feelings, and memories to life through one-of-a-kind radio-quality songs. With personalized songs starting at just $99 and delivered within a week, their community of professional songwriters will handcraft the best gift you can give. Bring your loved ones and family members a gift they've never expected. There's two ways to create your personalized song. You can build from an existing foundation, browse and select a pre-made song foundation that fits your style and occasion. Share your stories and memories to help shape the lyrics. Your songwriter adds two new verses to make it yours. Or start from scratch, share your memories, select your mood, genre, and vocalist type, and then Songfinch handpicks the perfect songwriter to record your song from scratch. This is an amazing gift to give for any occasion, weddings, anniversaries, birthdays, Mother's Day, but with Christmas just around the corner, you can give someone a really unique present and show them you love them in a different way. Once you receive the song, it has a homepage on the website where you can listen, read the lyrics, and learn more about the songwriter who created it. They will mail you a greeting card with your unique URL printed on the inside, and you can customize it to gift with the song. Plus, if it isn't everything you expected, you can feel free to reach out to Songfinch and they will make it right. The possibilities are endless, and it's hard to imagine if you haven't heard it before. So listen to some of the songs that have been made for other Clatchers and other Songfinchers. <laughs> yes, they've even made one for the Coffee Clatch crew. Of course, we shared that information we wanted them to put in there, our relationship together, how we built this. But it was as though they knew us. They even included Achilles in our song. So now's your time. The holidays are coming, and it's your turn to give the best gift. Just go to songfinch.com. Use the promo code CLATCHERS for $20 off your personalized song from scratch. That's songfinch.com, promo code CLATCHERS. Duh. Blink and you're dead. Don't turn your back. Don't look away. People assume that time is a strict regression of cause to effect, but actually, from a non-linear, objective viewpoint, it's more like a big ball. Time winding. Stop. I don't want to go. The coffee crash Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew Doctor Who episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we are reviewing Chibnall's episode 8, The Witchfinders. Directed by Sally Abrahamian and written by Joy Wilkinson. IMDb is giving this a 6.7 and Rotten Tomatoes a 91%. Rotten Tomatoes loves Doctor Who. They haven't strayed too far. They went down to an 87 for the Saranga conundrum, but we've mostly been in the 90s. Well, that was just a conundrum. <laughs> but for sixes, we were at a 6.4 with arachnids in the UK and a 6.2 with Saranga Conundrum. So we're still under their seven-ish ratings that they gave to the rest of the season. The critics say if only the aliens had been given the same nuance, care, and scream time that the human villains have enjoyed so far, this could have been a classic episode, a slightly messy ending to an otherwise tight episode. Let's give a brief synopsis. The Doctor and companions arrive in 17th century Lancashire and become embroiled in a witch trial run by the local landowner. As fear stalks the village, the arrival of King James I only serves to intensify the witch hunt. But is there something even more dangerous at work? So our director here, Sally Abrahamian, also did Arachnids in the UK this series. And that's one of our more favorite ones for this season. Yeah, we rated pretty high on that. And that's why I was surprised that this episode's villain did not have much to it. Well, one, not scary, seemed lazy. Let's just have them walk around slowly. Let's have them not be too smart. And I can't bother explaining a full backstory. So let's just have the doctor just say it all in a two minute clip. Well, it worked in Arachnids in the UK because it turned out that the spiders really weren't an alien villain. They were a creation of man. And like the rest of the series, we were focusing on the downfalls of humanity. We also have that here. But because the villain turns out to be a villain for the first time this season, and I enjoyed that, that harkens back to classic Doctor Who, you do need to give it a little more attention. And everything seemed to be going so well right up until that reveal of what the Morax was. And I'm not sure where the problems came in at that point. If it was writing, the fact that they had to keep reiterating points to us as though we didn't understand, the visuals fell a little bit flat. It all seemed like a rush to the finish line. 
Well, that's why I think they had to keep reiterating the points because they didn't have enough in the actual writing to let it unfold naturally. They had to shove it down our throats. And of course, because Chibnall had this rule this season that every episode is going to live on its own, they couldn't elaborate from it or extrapolate from it. I think that final reveal that these were aliens that were locked into Earth after a war, so a war crime alien in jail, basically, under the Earth's soil, I think that would have been a great storyline if they had given another episode, made this a to-be-continued episode, and had the Doctor in next episode have to go back in time, find out what alien race put them there, why, and how they can put them back. Right. Is it even safe to put them back? We've seen a problem with this lock. Obviously, people opening it up without realizing and they get released. Well, couldn't that just happen again? I was thinking that too. Why would you make it a tree that we know humans... Chopping down is enough to free them? That doesn't really seem like alien biomech. Can I propose something? Do you think, because the rest of the episode was so fleshed out... The historical stuff was really great about the witch trials. It felt like the Morax was a bit shoved in there. Do you think they were hearing criticisms that we didn't have enough of classic Doctor Who and kind of rushed to actually put a bad alien in there? No, you have to keep in mind that everything was filmed and written and edited before we saw the first BBC episode. Yeah, definitely understand. But is there a way maybe they twisted just slightly? Well, maybe they had advanced screenings and that's what the people were telling them. Mm. And BBC's bosses were telling Chibnall and the crew that they were lacking. I saw, and I'll be honest, I saw a headline because it was Twitter. There was actually no article stating that Chibnall and Jody may be leaving after season two because Mm. of disagreements with the BBC bosses. Maybe this is one of those. Again, I'm just guessing here. It was a little bizarre because even the visuals at the point where they were fighting the Morax felt muddied. It didn't feel like the rest of gorgeous Doctor Who we've been seeing. It was a little confused down to the point where the doctor realized the smoke from the tree would be toxic to the Morax. How did we make that leap? Seems like she didn't know about this race until then. It all flew by and it left me in those five minutes saying, wait, hold on. This is the most important part of the episode. What's happening? Yeah. You were drowning with confusion? Yeah, a little bit. Pun. That's not (laughs) to say that we disliked the episode. Up until that point, I thought it was handled beautifully. There was atmospheric location. They had this muted color palette to reinforce the themes they were going to be talking about. And it's in the past. You love the past. Although I bet this would be the last place you would want to visit in the past. Oh, absolutely. And they actually tie that in. In the first direct reference this season to having a female doctor and how it would affect her adventures, that it's going to be more of a challenge. That's the reality of it. I like that they didn't throw it in our face for the rest of the season. It doesn't have to be a huge deal that she's a female. This is just her new incarnation. But there are certain realities. If you're going to travel back into the past, just like we've seen where racism creates an issue for our companions going back to that time frame, the same thing will apply to a woman. And we can't just pretend it's not there, especially in something surrounding witch trials where women were absolutely targeted They had to talk about it, right? And so that brings us to the next point. Of course, anytime we're going into a historical episode, we want to know how true is this to the facts that occurred. I have to give huge props to ScreenRant.com, who's been covering a lot of that throughout this series. Whether it's scientific accuracy or historical facts, they have broken down in their reviews. How does it stack up? And this week they talked about the Pendle Hill trials. Now, of course, there were numerous witch trials that took place across Europe and America in the 1600s, but some were more documented and famous than others. For Europe, this is some of the most famous, part of the more extensive Lancashire witch trials that took place then. And it was unique in the fact that it was published by the clerk to the court. That's why it's so well documented. Twelve people were accused of practicing witchcraft. One died in prison and ten of the others were found guilty and executed. A lot of that stuff about the two feuding families is based in truth. Many of the allegations resulted from accusations of members of the Demdike and Chaddock's families, perhaps because they were rivals and competitors. Also true 
that others were implicated because they were practicing herbalists or healers, and some were implicated for refusing to attend the English church. Whenever I see or read about times like this, I always think about how ignorant humans are. In this case, what it seems like to me is we had two families that were more powerful families vying for more power, taking advantage of the quote-unquote common folk who undoubtedly back then had less education, were more naive and very gullible, thinking that these families probably were well-read, had the education, they could take advantage of that. And they started to use their ignorance of the masses to take out the other family members. But then that spread out where these gullible people who now think there's witches start saying these people with their potions that are curing us, they must be witches too. And then that just keeps going further and further and the ignorance grows. Well, what you're saying is true, but also it's a time of superstition and religion dominating things. We talked about this in some of our recent bonus casts. The things that we couldn't understand plague, sickness, death, were surely punishments or marks sent by Satan. (laughs) And yet, how do we get at Satan, right? How do we work to defeat that? Well, the only way we really know how is he must have minions here on earth, people that are doing his bidding, witches. We can take them down. And so that's something that really spread throughout all of these communities. Yeah. And then you add e-commerce to that. Now people are getting paid handsomely to be witch hunters. So they start making up little things and making up doodads like this little thing will, uh, if you prick them and and they bleed, they're not a witch. Yes, we're going to talk about that. I'm glad you brought it up. But also for the same reason why certain people were targeted, let's say a lot of women, it's also the reason behind the accusations. So if you look at some of the historical documents, especially for the Salem witch trials, women Children, younger people who didn't normally have a lot of power and influence were coming forward and saying, this person has possessed me. This person is making me have fits or sickness or vision. They must be a witch. And all of a sudden, the town agreed and the person was put on trial. So a husband who had beaten a wife, a person who was taking a lot of land from others, this was an opportunity for them to reclaim power by accusing them of being a witch. And taking advantage of the ignorance. That's why knowledge is power. Not even just ignorance. This was some common people that were making the accusations, but realizing what an effect it had to say, that person's possessing me. Right. And the fact that there's no way to prove that they weren't a witch until they died. And a lot of times they found out these young girls or whoever were making the accusations, they were pretending. They were falling into fits on the floor and faking like they were having seizures. But you can't prove that's not true. That brings up the point, going back to the Pendle Hill trials, the witnesses actually included a nine-year-old girl who testified against her own mother. The girl normally wouldn't have been able to give evidence, but usual rules were suspended during the witch trials. They were allowed to do that. Several years later, having played a part in the deaths of her mother, brother, and sister, this girl, Jeanette Device, found herself accused of witchcraft and amongst a group of 20 that were accused and tried. Karma. And what they did find out is the girl was just mad at her mom because she wouldn't get her the new iPhone. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) So it wasn't the biggest group of people that were prosecuted at one time. It was among them. We also spoke about the Salem Witch Trials, one of the better known. And it was a series of hangings before local magistrates, followed by county court trials. In those circumstances, over 150 people were arrested and imprisoned, with many more accused but not formally pursued. Nineteen were eventually hanged across a variety of towns in Massachusetts Bay between 1692 and 1693. I wish I knew how exactly this started, the first one ever. And I don't mean from reading what people think. If we could watch it and see it all unfold, maybe that could help us understand the psychology behind humans and why this snowball effect of ignorance can really occur. How do you convince the masses to be okay with this? If you drown, you're innocent. If you survive, you're a witch and will be hanged. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then do it 10 times to people's loved ones. And every single time they're drowned. So every single time they were never a witch. Wouldn't the masses eventually be like, hold on a second. We keep saying this and they all keep drowning. None of them have been witches. Well, there was some protest and the same thing with the allegations brought forward. Inconsistencies. 
with some of these younger girls who were having seizures or falling to the floor, accusing people of being murderers. There was a case where the family came forward with refuting evidence to show, well, this couldn't possibly true. And how do you back that up? There's a new podcast series, actually, that's covering the Salem Witch Trials. It's called Unobscured by Aaron Mankey. Oh, Aaron Mankey. Yeah, I'm sure you're familiar with him from other podcasts. I'm Aaron Mankey. (laughs) And in that season, he talks all about that. If you're interested in the real history of the witch trials, this is a thorough deep dive with stuff I've never even heard before. And let him know CKC Podcast brought you. (laughs) And maybe he can give uh, Christina a job there. Yeah, I just happen to be a huge fan of his. I think he's a wonderful podcast voice. But back to the true history, they also mentioned horses in this episode, that Becca Savage had had all of them shot and killed from the town. It was generally believed at the time any animal could be host to a demon. This idea was inspired by the biblical tale in which Jesus cast a group of demons into a herd of pigs. So if they could do it to the pigs, they could do it to any animal. Yep. It's not safe. We should just kill them. Wow. Anything that scares us, we should just kill it. Briefly brought up, too, was the idea of the witch's mark. The 16th century saw the rise of superstition about that. The doctrine suggested any birthmark on your body could be a sign that the person had been touched by the devil and was proof of witchcraft. The inquisitors carried needles. Here you go, Jason. They used to pierce the birthmarks and see if they bled. But paid professionals would often fake this using clever tools that included pins with hollow wooden handles and retractable points. But this was their proof, right? I'm using these official witch finder tools. And if it's retractable, meaning it won't pierce the skin, it just looks like it did. And they're like, oh, she's not bleeding. They could fake it any way they wanted to. Another big part of the episode was the ducking stool that they were using to test. And this was later changed a little bit where they would bind the person up and then drop them in the water to see if they floated or sank. But originally, going back to medieval times, they used the ducking stool as a punishment primarily for women who were accused of prostitution, witchcraft, or of being scolds, which were gossips or bad-tempered women. So basically, a way for men to keep the women silent, not bicker at them, not yell at them to get the milk. Yeah, absolutely. That podcast goes back to a woman whose husband was very abusive to her, and she came forward several times to try to tell people within the community about this extensive physical abuse she was suffering. But then she was a gossip who was running around spreading bad news about her husband and telling people the details of her marriage. So she too was punished along with him. Hashtag fake news. And they made mention of that in the episode where I think it was Becca Savage that told the doctor, this is for women who talk too much. Like you? Yep. When she was tied up. Pretty ridiculous. Yeah. Well, and finally, we heard a lot about King James I. He has been rarely explored in cinema, TV, and movies, at least as a primary character. The stories are usually focused on his mother, Mary, Queen of Scots, with him as a secondary character. The key event of his reign was the publication of an English translation of the Bible, still known as the King James Bible in his honor. James was deeply superstitious and even self-published his own book where he explained how to identify and kill witches. This scares me because looking at this guy and obviously King James wasn't exactly like the Doctor Who version, but still the fact that he wrote a book about witches. um, Now we're reading a Bible by him and swearing by that. He's a man in power. And at this point, how do you go against anything he says? Uh, A lot of this stuff was true or based on facts, such as the question of his homosexuality in the episode. There were rumors of his countless relationships with male courtiers, and he was so open about the affairs, he got the nickname Queen James. In 1617, he addressed the Privy Council with an official affirmation of his right to love men. Hence all of his comments to To Ryan, Ryan. (laughs) which brought a lot of humor to the episode. Now... Most of his portrayal was that way, over the top, bringing in comedy. Yes, there's this air of he is a very scary man because he's so aggressive with his paranoia and superstition. He's going to take that to the extreme of how do we purify all of these towns and people. 
But the way they balanced that out was with this kind of funny depiction or over-the-top depiction. What did you think about that? Well, I thought he was enjoyable to watch on the show. But in an episode like this, I'm often thinking about what if these people are really this way because Mm. this is based on reality. And I just kept thinking, this is a scared man with over-the-top thoughts and a really damaged past. He even speaks about the fact that his father was killed by his mother. My father was murdered by my mother, who was then imprisoned and beheaded. Okay, that's worse. I was raised by regents. One was assassinated, one died in battle, and another died in suspicious circumstances. There have been numerous attempts to kidnap me, kill me, or blow me up. It's a miracle I'm still alive. He gets very emotional about this, and we see that a big part of him is missing because of that. He doesn't trust anybody. He's very jaded towards life and towards women because he's so mad at his mother. The reality is, this is what happens when a boy grows up without his mother. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, some people characterized the stereotyped portrayal he put forth, but I thought, as you were saying, it made it all the scarier. He's making these funny, joking comments, such as the Witchfinder general that served before Graham. Great man, saved his life. Unfortunately, he wound up betraying me, and I had to shoot him. (laughs) Uh, That's terrifying to me, putting them back to back, those two scenes, and juxtaposing the two aspects of his personality was scary. You can't trust that man. That smile means nothing. And I really did like the way they were pulling in the history and what they were trying to build between him and the doctor, making the parallels to yeah. using the identity as a mask they wear. But there was something about that scene that didn't quite hit the mark for me when she's tied up and she's talking to him and yeah. trying to convince him why he should trust her. Well, it didn't hit the mark because it looked like she was penetrating his thoughts, but then he just kind of... It was a little too quick, wordy back and forth. There wasn't enough deep connection within what they were saying. And yeah, I think it would have been better if she convinced him to trust her in that moment. Instead, we wind up having that he pursues the witch trial with her. We get down to the banks where she's getting dunked. And then the team comes in Mm -hmm. and just says, no, she's telling the truth. And he's like, okay, you're right. Raise her up. It felt a little off to me. Well, the whole ending felt a little off. So every time we bring that up, it's going to (laughs) be weird. As far as King James is concerned, Alan Cumming did a very good job. He's a great actor. Mm. But story-wise, he comes in, he takes control. He looks like he definitely rules the nest. But then as soon as they take off and the story starts to unfold, he's got no control. He's got nothing there. That's reality, though. This situation is so far beyond what he can understand. He has no way to rein it in or to bring order. I I thought that was extremely true to life. And it wound up being that he's just a human with this darkness, with all these problems. And thus, I think if you have him connecting with the doctor and her pulling that out and bringing him over to their side, and now they're pitted against Becca Savage, that's perfection, really. And you're so close to having that happen. It just fell a little short. I didn't think of it that way. That's a great angle. Also, I think maybe we found our connection to past episodes with this. Think about it. King James is so torn apart. He never had his mother, and that's why he's hurting so much. And we had that one of my favorite and most memorable episodes with David Tennant, where we have the bad guy running around going, are you my mommy? Oh, God, you just (laughs) always want to bring up that episode. (laughs) Obviously, I'm joking. There is no ties there. But hey, it reminds me of it. You love that episode. Are you my mommy? Well, I want to come back around to Becca Savage, another of our new faces for the episode, because I thought the portrayal here by Siobhan Finneran was amazing. Right up until the moment she turned into a Morax, when she was still a human character, she portrayed what seems to be such truth to what was happening at that time. So, for instance, this is a woman who's going through her own darkness, afraid Mm -hmm. of anyone discovering the truth within her. How does she combat that? She points the finger at everyone else in the town. Surely they must be witches. I'm going to be the good, pure, religious woman that seeks them out. Yeah. And then on top of that, she's a woman who's in charge back then. And she does broach the subject, never mind this alien that's inside of her. She's also trying to politically remain in control. She tried being the sensitive type 
but that didn't work because she's a woman. So yeah, she, she had to be, to be more powerful. Exactly. So that's on top of it as well. I thought Finneran did a great job of showing strength, emotion, vulnerability, and intrigue. I thought that actress was amazing in this. Yeah, they were all good. And then we had our other secondary characters with a little less screen time, Willa Twiston, who is played by Tilly Steele, and Grandma Twiston, played by Trisha Kelly. Uh, The grandmother, obviously, very, very little screen time. She did well with the line she was given. I liked the idea of Willa Twiston's character. It never quite got there for me. I, I don't know, again, just something I couldn't put my finger on that was missing there. She did good facial acting I felt for her and the situation she was being put in, which was so impossible, right? She knows what the doctor and the crew is saying is right. She wants to join up with them, but she also knows that means she's going to be killed probably just like her grandmother. She'll be the next to be accused of being a witch. And then just a brief kind of pawn in King James games here was Alfonso played by Stavros Demetraki. Well, let's jump into our plot. We open up landing in early 17th century Lancashire, and Graham remarks they have not arrived, in fact, at the coronation of Elizabeth I. So a brief mention that's telling us there's problems with the TARDIS and how they are being taken to certain time periods. This season's so afraid of the TARDIS. I hate that. Yes. TARDIS used to be one of the main staples of the show. They couldn't even start them out in it this time. They're in the land walking around Bilehurst Crag, saying that the TARDIS has difficulty with exact readings lately. What starts out seeming like a Sunday celebration abruptly changes tone when Mistress Savage demands the villagers' presence as the ceremony will begin. Realizing they are in Pendle Hill, the doctor knows things will get bad soon, and a man in a metal mask follows them to the ceremony. Once there, Mistress Becca Savage tells the villagers the devil stalks their town. She will be conducting a witch trial with the ducking stool. The doctor warns our crew not to interfere with the fundamental fabric of history, but then jumps into the water after the accused, Grandma Twiston. So this is an issue that we've had with all the doctors. It's a fundamental issue when you have a time traveler and you need to have good storyline. If you just watched all the time, it'd be a horrible show. The constant struggle with not interfering and also trying to be a hero or trying to fix things. And I like how in this episode... And I like how in this scene they broach that subject. This is a constant struggle with the doctor, not to interfere or to interfere. And it's a main departure from the rest of the series. When we've been going back to past events, they've really been careful to say, we can't get in the way of this. All we can do is preserve the way that history happened. Honestly, it was getting a little frustrating. They almost entirely abandon that here. She makes the reference, but then they jump right in. Well, no, we have to we have to save things. This is really wrong the way that we're doing it. Maybe we can change something. And I don't mind that. Do you? No, I love that they finally just said it because they were doing it in Demons of the Punjab by trying to make that marriage happen. I mean, they do go ahead and let the moment occur where Prem has to die, but they are kind of interfering and they just throw caution to the wind here. Because if you think about it, The doctor has gone back to all these historical moments. The TARDIS is taking her there because there's something she needs to do. How does she know? Has Hmm. she gone back and changed things to preserve history? Does that mean she needs to do it again? It gets very confusing. (laughs) So the doctor brings up Grandma Twiston, but unfortunately the woman is already dead. Becca says that 35 witches have been tried already and the doctor will be punished for her interference. The doctor declares, though, the trial is over, showing her identification as Witchfinder General. And realizing who they are, Becca invites the group back to her house, as Yaz goes to find the granddaughter. So we're following this same pattern of the crew splitting up multiple times through the episode. Very, very quickly, just, okay, you go there and do this while we do that. It's almost getting to be a bit much because it happens many times in each episode now. They know they can't possibly focus on all the characters at once, so it's their only solution. Yes, I'm having issues with the character building of our companions. We've talked about it every week. Every time I go on Twitter and say, who's your MVC? You and I are often stretched to find an actual companion to put in there rather than just the side characters for that episode. Mm -hmm. Them splitting them up, I don't necessarily mind. If I was the doctor and I had three other companions and I needed to get a lot done in a quick time, I would split my team up. 
Yeah, absolutely. It just doesn't feel like they're doing it in a natural way. It's like three times throughout the episode. Okay, you go here and do this and I'll Mm -hmm. go there and do that for no apparent reason. It doesn't even follow the pattern of what's occurring. Yeah, I think what you're getting at is it feels arbitrary because we don't know enough about these companions. If we knew their strengths wholeheartedly, Mm -hmm. we have some ideas. We think Graham is really good at penetrating the mass and getting the information they need, right? But besides that, we don't know what their strengths are. Right. So it seems arbitrary. If we had established already at this point, and I think we should have, what they are best at, then we have them split up and do what they're best at, and it would make sense to us. And she wouldn't even have to give the orders, so to speak, like the rundown of who's going to go where and do what. Like a boss dividing tasks, it would just be that they logically start to break up as we've done in previous Doctor Who episodes. Like Rory's just going to go off on his own and try to find the person that's in trouble because he's very sensitive and he's good at talking to people. The doctor doesn't have to say, well, Rory, you go find her and talk to her. This is your strength. Yeah, I, I do agree with you. I think that's a problem that we haven't gone deep enough into who these people actually are. But Yaz does go to look for Willa here and finds her performing some kind of ritual over her grandmother's burial site. When a mud tendril comes out of the ground and tries to attack her, Yaz has to beat it down. Meanwhile, Mistress Becca Savage, landowner and leader of Vilehurst Crag, explains the difficult times they've been going through recently. The blighting of crops, bewitching of animals, people plagued with fits and visions. It's clear they are witches in league with Satan. And after all, the New King James Bible says, Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. I like the fact that Chebnall and his team are incorporating the psychic paper. I love that. Mm-hmm. And that it changes yeah. over the course Always of the episode. Always love that. Always love that. Oh, yeah. Well, it changes depending on who's reading it yep. and what they want to see. This was a good way for the doctor to kind of penetrate herself into the storyline in a way they're trusted already and what they say will at least be listened to for a little bit. Yeah. Also, what I like here, you talked about King James before one man having way too much power. These people have taken this one line from his version of the Bible (laughs) and just run with it. This is our proof from God that we are meant to hunt witches. There was a lot of study on that later when it was translated from Hebrew to English. Did something get lost? The original words may have been closer to something like sorceress, poisoner, or herbalist rather than witch. So the doctor is about to explain to Becca how this group can help without killing people when the masked man enters, revealing himself as King James. He's here to help them purify their land. We're just talking about the identification. The psychic paper now lists the doctor as assistant, and the king figures Graham has to be in charge because surely a woman couldn't be, right? So he sees what he wants to see. And Graham is so... I love it. He's so uncomfortable with this, but he knows they have to go along. He's like, oh, yes, sire. This is my team, of course. And the doctor realizes how difficult this is going to be for her. And they do reiterate this time that they're all of equal parts, which I really like about this team. They're equal. Well, that's Graham again. He's trying to kind of go along with it, but he says, this is more of a flat structure. We all have our own skill set. And harking back to our review of Rosa, where we had so much issue with what they were wearing, but we acquiesced to that. That's why we don't complain about that anymore. This time, King James mentions the garments. Again, if you didn't know it was all written, recorded, done way ahead of time, Hmm. it's as though they've gotten to this point and realized, well, People must be wondering, why isn't anybody saying anything about their outfits? It would be commented on, right? So yeah, he says, what are you all wearing? Are you actors? (laughs) (laughs) So the group goes to investigate and finding little in Becca's bedroom, other than proof she's paranoid, Yaz returns and reveals the information she found about the mud tendrils. The doctor goes with her to look at this further and tells Ryan and Graham to stall the king. I love this. James reveals to them he can trust no one. That's why he has a trunk full of witch-finding tools. He gives Graham a hat as new witch-finder general, and they do their best to hold him off, but the king is determined they will find and destroy all the witches in the village by nightfall. Outside, Ryan even tries to kind of get to him with this heart-to-heart. He wonders why King James finds it so hard to trust people. James shares his tragic story. His father was murdered by his mother when he was a baby. 
She was imprisoned and beheaded. He was raised by regents who all died. And there have been numerous attempts on his own life since. But God will keep him safe as long as he does his work. He has to believe that, right? In order to keep going. The psychology behind this man is so evident. Sad and tragic, but really clear to see. And like I mentioned in the top of this episode, you can see why King James has such hate or resentment towards women. Not that it's justified, but it's obvious this story of his past still haunts him. And paranoia against everyone, women, men, equals, servants. He can't trust anyone. He says that about Alfonso at one point when he's talking to Ryan. Uh, Look at him. He's so loyal and dedicated to me, but even he will inevitably betray me and I'll have to kill him. Exactly. Does not trust anyone. And so the only one he can really put his faith in is God. God is all that's left to him. But in order to maintain, to get the help that he wants, he has to serve him. He has to do right by him. So let's switch over to Yaz and the doctor, who find Willa getting ready to flee the village. Willa reveals she's cousins with Becca. In fact, the two families were close until Becca married up and then turned on them. Her grandmother was a healer, but even she wasn't safe from the targeting. Willa complains a few times that she feels sick, but when the doctor examines her, can't find anything physically wrong with her. Yet Yaz understands what's happening, the dread she feels and how it's impacting her. I think I know what it is that's making you sick. I had it at my school where I'm from. When Izzy Flint turned the whole class against me, every day I'd wake up feeling this dread. Fear. How did you get rid of it? I didn't. I just took it, had the year from hell. And she told herself when she got bigger, she would stand up to people like Izzy. So they're trying here to do a bit of character building to give Yaz some backstory. Why did she decide to become a police officer? What was the point in her life that really impacted her? Well, she doesn't like bullies and she's going to find a road that will allow her to bring justice to those people that are getting abused or even here hunted down. Yeah. And it was a good storyline and I love the way Yaz told it. It reminded me of the Punjab episode. Graham was talking to her about life. These writers are really good with utilizing the companions for these kinds of storylines and they're delivered very well by these actors. It's when they can link them into the secondary characters because we're trying to learn about Willa and in a natural way, kind of, we can bring up some backstory about Yaz. It was a little rushed, a little pushed in here. I think they maybe didn't give it quite enough time to breathe, but it definitely lands. It gives us some information we've been looking for. And yeah, proceeds along to Willa wanting to join the group, but afraid for her life. Makes total sense. Willa explains she wasn't doing a ritual. She was just saying a prayer over her grandmother's burial site to help her rest in peace when Yaz found her the first time. They go out to look. The doctor takes a sample of the mud and it starts jumping around in the jar. Then suddenly, Grandma Twiston's body rises from the ground, the mud inside of her and reanimating her. Even after they return the trapped particle to the creature, many other bodies begin rising up. At this point, I don't mind the bad guys. I loved this here. They looked scary. Always the thought of a bad person being able to use dead bodies against you. That's like a limitless army. We talk about this with Game of Thrones. If they have that power, uh, kind of like necromancy, to reanimate them, it's going to be really hard to fight that force. I just finished watching Netflix's Sabrina, which was really good. And they did things similar to this. But what was lacking in this episode is once they needed those bodies to do stuff, the way they depicted them just walking around town, walking into the, into the house, just kind of following picking up the them, axe. Like zombie army. Yeah, that is when it started to fall flat. And I was not scared of them, concerned of them. I was kind of annoyed by them. Only because they didn't know how to do it and they didn't give themselves enough time. Right here in this opener, I thought it's really good. And they played with the idea, how hard would it be for you as these villagers to fight back against this army when they're taking the shape of those you Hmm. love, right? How is Willa going to fight a woman that looks like her grandmother? And she makes that jump really perhaps too fast when the doctor explains, this isn't your grandmother. It's an alien force that's coming after you. And now she's like, okay, I get it. 
I think that'd be actually a lot more impactful, tough to get people to realize, and thus it gives your army an edge. And I don't know that maybe we ever should have seen really what the Morax looked like. Mm. Maybe it should be more of a malleable thing that doesn't take shape until it fills another body. I like that. But we don't go into that more here because just then the king and the others find them. They think it's witchcraft. And this looks pretty bad for them. They're standing in front of all these dead bodies they've <laughs> yeah. seemingly raised from the earth. The doctor tries to insist the creatures are aliens from beyond their world, and they're getting stronger. She also thinks there's no way the creatures appearing and the biggest witch hunt in Europe occurring on the same day is a coincidence. So she asks Becca what she knows. She thinks there has to be more going on here that she's not telling them. But Becca turns it on them accusing the doctor of being a necromancer in league with Satan. That's what I mean when you're surrounded by more ignorant people that can be manipulated so easily. You can just turn it on them. Not even just ignorant. I don't like that we keep using that word. It's a mob mentality. Yes, and humans still suffer by that. And it's fear, right? Because you could always be the next person to be accused. The moment you step out of line, you start saying something they don't like. You blend in with the crew and you just agree with it. It's like what Will is going through. They, they highlight that here where the doctor's saying, well, this is your time. Stand up and tell her mm. you agree with us. But she knows that if she does that, she's going to be the next one accused of being True. a witch. So she just kind of goes along and says, well, yeah, I did think it was kind of weird what was happening with the doctor. <laughs> you can see she doesn't really want to do that. And even the doctor, this is the moment where she says how much easier it would be for her to continue her job if she were a man. She's speaking out. She's causing problems. She's tried to put Becca on the hot seat. Clearly, Becca isn't having that. Anybody that comes close to challenging her is getting accused, tried, and killed the moment the doctor does that. Well, now it's your turn. We're (laughs) trying you for being a witch. She's taken and tied up while Graham, Ryan, and Yaz follow the mud creatures. Well, we won't get into that side of things, but James interrogates the doctor about her secrets. This is that conversation between the two of them where she says he can't hunt people just because he's scared and hiding behind a mask. Evil be to him that evil thinks. You wear it like a hero, even though you're killing and scapegoating and stirring up hate. And you wonder why the darkness comes back at you. There's no darkness in me. I quest for goodness and knowledge, beauty and art, all of God's virtues. Your own mother was scapegoated. How do you square that with your witch hunts? you know of my mother? You could have seen her before she died, but you didn't want to. Why? She left me when I was not even one year old. What kind of mother does that? Why would I wish to see her? Nobody will ever know why she left you, James. But you can't go hurting people just because you're scared to face up to the darkness inside you. You have to be better than that. And he counters that she too hides behind her title. He wonders how she knows all these details about him and his life. She tries to earn his trust. It seems like we're getting somewhere. But finally, he's convinced there's only one way to figure out what she really is. He summons the villagers and Becca announces the doctor will be tried by ducking. Well, the doctor is doing what the doctor does, wax poetic. She's making really good points, but it's just not penetrating King James's brain. Well, and she makes one last attempt here before they're going to dunk her under the water to bring up things that don't make sense, put Becca in a position where she has to answer those questions. You know, she says, like, what's going on with all the hankies, the bottle of medicine in your room? But to everyone else, that doesn't mean anything. They don't quite get what she's getting at here. So it's like, nah, nah, ducker, she's a witch. And the crew, who were out hunting the mud creatures, hear the noises of the trial taking place at the river. They run to see what's happening. As King James gives the word to dunk the doctor, a tear of mud runs down Becca's eye. And the crew pleads with the king. That's what I mean. They kind of They say a few words, don't do it, don't do it. And all of a sudden he's like, oh, you're right. Bring her up. The trial's over. Well, I like to think of it as what the doctor was saying to him did penetrate. And it was growing and growing. And then as she was getting dunked, then the companions speaking to him, if finally he could not ignore it anymore. Yeah. It's other people reiterating that same point. Yeah. 
So they, they bring the stool up, but the doctor is gone. <laughs> and she comes up out of the water. She says, I'm just good at holding my breath and getting out of chains, thanks to a very wet weekend with Houdini. <laughs> this season, they love to hearken back to all the great people she's been with. I like that. I always like that about Doctor Who. Yeah, I think there's been quite a few references yeah. to Houdini. That's when the mud people come out of the woods and the villagers all flee. Becca tells the creatures to stop and they obey her. That was a scary moment. You saw it coming. The fact that they all just stop and you know she's not just one of them. She has some kind of power. Yeah. See, I didn't see that coming. I thought they were going after Becca and that she had something that they needed. And what I was going off of that was she was, we saw that she was bit or hit by these bad guys. Um, she was sick. And when the doctor had that little bit of mud that was animated, how badly the Morax wanted that, I thought maybe there was something inside of Becca that the Morax wanted. Yeah, well, that, but also the doctor says a couple of times, what are you hiding? You're right. pointing the finger at everyone else because you don't want us to look at the truth behind you. So... I knew she had to be part of that in some way, but it almost seemed like they were extorting her yeah. or using her. She admits here, it's in her too. She cut down a tree on her land because it was ruining her view of the hill and something that lay beneath infected her. She tried taking medicine, but it grew. She did God's work in the hope it would save her, but it didn't. She even told her grandmother and asked her to cut it out of her. When Grandma couldn't do it, she had to kill her to hide the truth. <laughs> she admits to the king she failed, and then starts to bubble and transform, revealing she too is a Morax. Now, it moves really quick from this point. We won't continue to harp on it, but this is kind of the big reveal. Reveal. Basically, just tell us everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... The mighty Morax army tells us they were captured and imprisoned on this planet for war crimes. Bilehurst, which means sacred tree on a hill, was actually an advanced biomech security system, a lock to keep the royal army imprisoned on Pendle Hill. Becca broke enough of it by cutting down the tree for the queen to escape and infect her. Now that the Morax can move freely, they are determined to fill King James with their king so they can spread rage, force, and hate. You know... Because of them not being fully developed, we almost had to keep it so stereotyped. Their yeah. only goal is to spread hatred. I mean, that's like the quintessential villain that's not very complex, right? We were just praising the last episode of Doctor Who for Charlie being this complex villain. As a human, he has a lot of gray area to him. The Morax, all black. And again, I think if they had another episode... To really flesh that out and find out why the Morax were put in there in the first place. Wow, I think this would have been a memorable, yeah. Right? That's, I mean, I'm not saying I don't like having the bad villain. I do. I like having an identifiable evil alien that we have to fight. It gives our group a purpose. It gives them something to do throughout the course of the episode. Even the vague idea of them being sent to this planet Earth where they yeah. don't want to be and trapped inside of a hill. Yeah, it's very interesting. They just have to kind of run through it so quick. Uh, the queen takes King James here and knocks the rest of the group out. When they come to, the doctor devises a plan. She breaks up the wood of the dunking stool, wood from the tree, to create torches whose smoke is toxic to the Morax. The crew will fend them off while the doctor fixes the lock on the prison. As they reactivate it, the Morax are pulled back into the hill one by one, but the queen resists. She's trying to give the king time to come out of the prison. He is one of the last to come out. They're able to stop him from rising, but she's still fighting back until King James steps forward before they can stop him and burns the queen, angering the doctor. Ear two, a bit problematic. <laughs> Genuinely evil alien race. Creatures that we obviously don't want to come back. Right. That this prison system is uh, a little questionable here. But the fact that King James burns one and kills it is so unacceptable that she can't even talk to him for the rest of the episode. Well, I was hoping that whatever was in her would get sucked in and Becca would be alive again. Maybe that's what the doctor was hoping too. But now that the body was burned. I don't think so because... Everyone, once the creatures were removed from them, was just falling as like dead they bodies. Were, they were already dead. They were uh, drowned as witches. 
maybe. Okay, maybe. I don't know. It, That's what it I. It felt like more because he killed her. That okay. They were trying to suck them back in and imprison them, and just like in Arachnids in the UK where yeah. Robertson ran in and shot the spider. She was like, that's not what we're about. That's not what we're doing here. I see. Um, you know, like I say, it's getting a little confusing to me because she's seemingly very willing to sacrifice Charlie mm-hmm. in the last episode. But <laughs> here, with this horrible Morax creature, and even, okay, so if we're trying to save Becca, she wasn't that great either. But, <laughs> True. you know, it was okay then. It's not okay now. It's, it's a little wish-washy. I'm, I'm having trouble. Wibbly wobbly. But then we go to the ending where returning back to the TARDIS, the doctor makes King James swear not to tell anyone about this and to cease his witch hunts. He's confounded, understandably so, by the TARDIS, and the doctor leaves him with the following words. A brilliant man once said, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Did you know who that was, by the way? No, I had forgotten, uh, but I did remember that quote. So it's Clark's third law, Sir Arthur Charles Clark, who was a British author, inventor, futurist. He was famous for his short stories and novels such as 2001 Space Odyssey. There we go. But he's known as one of the titans of science fiction, and he said a lot of really poignant, important things about the future of man, species, where we're going from here, and came up with these, I think it was five laws that he talked about. That was one of them. So it wasn't Steve Jobs? No, no, definitely not. But it's true. And most of magic, especially back in the day, is technology. Um, The technology behind the illusion is what creates the magic. Even the healers, the reason they were going after them, what they were doing looked like magic. The way they were mixing up plants and their mixtures could just make people better. If they can't figure out why that's happening, Mm. that person becomes super powerful to the point, well, they could as easily poison and kill me, right? How do I know what they're doing, what they're putting in this stuff? I'm putting my life in their hands. And I think, again, fear just takes over in that circumstance, unfortunately. So I know from a writing perspective, we believe that the creators are having a difficult time with what to do with the TARDIS. And perhaps these storylines are just put in here so we can kind of avoid that. But within universe... Are they trying to tell us something more unusual than normal is happening here with the doctor's lack of being able to control the TARDIS? I agree. So we'll see where that goes. Also, the big thing about King James suggesting the doctor hides behind her title, that could be a really ongoing theme. The same as him. Does her heroism hide the darkness inside her own heart or even the evil maybe she's committed at times? Absolutely. And we've seen themes like this with the doctor in the past. What does this really mean to the doctor? Is the doctor a good guy or a bad guy? Is she hiding behind this name? What is her real name? That was one of the many intriguing things about the past doctors or the past Doctor Who storylines. And I don't know why they're afraid. Well, Jason, that'll take us to our rating for the episode. On a scale of 1 to 10 Sonics, what do you give episode 8, The Witchfinders? Well, this wasn't one of my favorite episodes, Although I really love the backstory, I think we were able to have a fun time with the podcast because of the historical elements that we could bring into it and facts. But in the end, as a Doctor Who story with the bad guys, I think it fell flat. Yeah, it was more fun to review than to actually watch, right? Yes, exactly. And as you can tell, we kind of skimmed over the end because there wasn't much to talk about besides (laughs) how much it was. eh. So for that, I'm going to go just one notch above Rosa with a 6.6. Yeah, agreed. This is tough to me. There's elements of Rosa that were certainly better, the emotional resonance, how they were able to handle that. But there's elements of this episode I liked better. The way they were dealing with the historical events that happened, the fact that we actually did have a bad guy alien creature in addition to trying to preserve historical moments, and that we were just going to jump in. We had a job to do and we were going to do it. So for that reason, I'm going to give it the same rating of seven Sonics. You still grade these way better than IMDb does. Well, I'm close to IMDb. My lowest has been a 7. IMDb was at a 6.7 here. So I'm, I'm close to being in line with them. Certainly a lot closer than Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> Moving over to our Twitter poll, at CKC Podcast, we asked our Clatchers, who's your most valuable companion? Our options this week were Willa, King James, Ryan, and Yaz. 
And again, we were having trouble trying to think of who in the actual companions to put in there. And coming in at fourth place is 16% for Yaz. I think she had that great moment when she spoke about her past to Willa. It was a strengthening moment for Willa emotionally. But besides that, Yaz and the crew really didn't have much to do besides stall. Yeah, I mean, Ryan stalled in epic fashion. (laughs) And Yaz had a little bit of these separate side jobs that she pursued. So I could see, you know, giving her some credit there. But it's evident in the numbers we actually had a tie at second and third place coming in both with 17% were Willa and Ryan. Like you said, the interactions that Yaz has here are kind of to bolster to get us to understand Willa as a secondary character more. She has a more complete arc for sure over the course of the episode being torn over doing what's right and sacrificing her own life. And you can feel for that. It creates some emotional resonance There was still a little bit of something missing for me, but as a one-off character, I think they did a pretty good job with her. And in first place with 50% is King James. While King James is not a likable character, I think Alan Cumming played him tremendously. He's a rich character. And the fact that we were torn between, is this a bad guy or just a misinformed and hurt guy, played a big part in it because he was funny at times. He was brutal at times. uh, He was sickening at times. And this was probably one of the more fleshed out characters for this episode. So what do the Clatchers have to say about it? Michelle wrote in saying, I think that was actually my least favorite episode of the series, but that's okay. I often have one or two I don't get on with. So sad there's only two more to go, though. I also have no idea who to vote for, as none of them really stood out to me. If anyone, I think Graham in his hat was cool. (laughs) Graham's always got the stylish things. Last time it was a cardigan we were talking about. That's right. But it was a hat here. Uh, Graham stands out in every episode, and it's getting to the point that I worry about putting him on the polls, too, that he's just going to keep taking it away, because out of the three of our primary companions, he's definitely taken the spotlight. I can also see some people having a problem with this episode. But as she says, there's been plenty of episodes of Doctor Who where the villains are a little wonky or things don't quite mesh well, so... Well, with every season of every show, there's fillers. Yeah. For sure. And Brian S. says, In all actuality, I was kind of surprised most by the twist at the end. The quick and kind of shocking, a.k.a. a very simple and foreshadowed but not interesting problem resolution. The Morax, yeah. Yeah. Brian mirrors our sentiments exactly. Yeah, Morax were, were tough. It's good for them being there, but bad for the way they were yeah. developed and shown. So thank you very much for writing in. Clatchers, if you want to write into us, you can always DM us or message us on Twitter at CKC Podcast, Facebook, email, contact at coffeeclatchcrew.com, or you can give us a call and leave a voicemail. Those are very fun. Underused for Doctor Who, but nevertheless, one of our favorite options. So go to coffeeclatchcrew.com to get that phone number. And if you're Patreon members, we're going to be putting up questions soon for the upcoming December bonus. That's going to be a vital part of it. We have had some good voicemails for the Patreon section. If you haven't checked that out, make sure that you do. And we'll be recording Fantastic Beasts 2 today for the Patreon movie cast. If you want to join in on that fun, go to coffeeclatchcrew.com, click on Patreon, and join the crew. Jason, that just leaves us with our MVB for the episode. I'm going to have to just go boring and join everyone else. I think King James was the standout character. I have to agree with you. To be honest with you, the most standout character, quote unquote, for me, besides King James, is actually the location and the narrative behind this historical event. Yeah, that and I felt pretty connected to Becca, even though she was a difficult character. Uh, She had a, a good arc going on as well. That concludes our episode eight review. Thank you for joining us. If you are afraid of spoilers, we will see you next time when we cover episode nine. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and review us on iTunes or any other app that lets you do that. By doing so, you let other people know we're out there and it makes our companion team even bigger. So for everyone still here, we are a little scant on spoilers this week. I know there have been some tie-ins to previous episodes, the references to Houdini that she made. The fact that we went back to the witch trials, which is something that has been explored a little bit in Doctor Who universe before, but nothing really stand out. I do have a short description on our next week's episode, episode nine, called It Takes You Away. 
On the edge of a Norwegian fjord in present day, Team TARDIS discovers a boarded-up cottage and a girl named Han in need of their help. What monster lurks in the woods beyond? That's a really interesting setting. (laughs) You know, removed could be very scary. And it doesn't tell us a lot about what's going to happen. I hope, yet again, it's going to be real monsters in the woods. Yeah. (laughs) Because that would be interesting. So we're looking forward to that. Thank you again to our sponsor for this episode, Songfinch. Remember, Songfinch is a way to give the perfect gift to that someone who you just don't know what to get them or you don't know how to show how much you love them. You can create a song with any kind of genre, the lyrics you wish, the details you want. Even if they have everything, chances are they don't have a song about them yet. And as your personalized song can be delivered within a week, you still have plenty of time. Best of all, our listeners will get $20 off their personalized song from scratch. Just go to songfinch.com and use the promo code CLATCHERS, K-L-A-T-C-H-E-R-S. You support us by supporting them. That's songfinch.com, promo code CLATCHERS. So that concludes this week of Doctor Who. Patreon Clatchers, we'll see you momentarily for our Fantastic Beasts podcast. And remember, after you buy a Songfinch song for a family member, if you need to buy everyone else in your family something, use Amazon.com by clicking on our Amazon link on coffeeclatchcrew.com and doing your shopping there, making Kerblam give us a little cut as a thank you for sending you over there. But Amazon's bubble wrap is safe. Yes. So no worries on that front. Till next time, this round's on me. This round is on me. Please hang up and try again.